0: The humans, the Asari, the Turians and Salarians, the Krogan, the Quarians, the Hanar, the Volus, the Elcor, the Drell, the Batarians, and Vorcha. Welcome to Triple Click, where we get the Rachni to you. We're talking about the new re release of Mass Effect today, and we've got a lot of Reapers to biotic implant. The Cerberus is in the Veil, vale, and the relays in the Citadel, so grab your Omni Tool and let's Skilly and
1: Verge! I'm Kirk Hamilton.
2: I'm Maddie Myers.
1: And I'm Jason Dreyer. And we are back once again. Yeah, we are. For another podcast. Guys, guys, you want to hear something crazy? Always. This weekend, my wife Amanda and I went out to eat indoors for the first time in a year and yes. Whoa. What, three months, a year and that three months. Crazy. Something like that is yeah. that. And it was weird. We're sitting there like without masks on. Nobody's wearing a mask. Like people are eating and enjoying themselves. It just felt like life was back to normal for a while. Um, I had also got, I went to the gym um, that same day and nobody was wearing a mask there. It's just very, it's all very strange. It's all been very <laughs> strange being in this like post vaccinated world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've That's had that really feeling
0: weird. as well. All right, well, um we're a we're a totally listener supported show. We love you all for supporting us and you can find out more about supporting us at maximumfun.org/join. Thanks to everybody who joined during Max Fun Drive 2021 and yeah. uh, we did a little we have a little late Max Fun Drive bonus coming to you all this coming Monday at the end of the month. We did we already recorded this actually with um with the besties and my brother, my brother and me's Justin McElroy, as a guest. We talked about Portal, did a whole Portal Beans cast, and it was super fun. Um, so that game fun. is really, really, really fun to talk about. We all replayed it. That's also a really good game.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: uh, anyways, go to MaximumFun.org to become a member. And thanks so much to all of our members. And you know, speaking of games from 2007. <laughs> <laughs> Great segue. Beautiful. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. Uh, we're going to be talking about a game a game series that started in 2007 on this episode and uh and geez, then it just kind of went from there and then it really never ended because Mass Effect never really ended even though no, it kind of
1: never stopped Mass Effect. It was put on ice for a couple of years but it, yes. it has been it has since been pulled out of cryogenic freezing. It was it was sent on in one of those chambers like in Andromeda like on the ship right, and, right, and right. then it woke up.
0: So we're going to be talking about the Mass Effect uh, Legendary Edition, the Mass Effect trilogy that was recently re-released by Electronic Arts. Um, um on this on this episode. It's going to be a triple mm-hmm. play. And I I'm driving this episode and I made some notes, but I feel like everybody has had so many opinions about Mass Effect over the years. I know the three of us all have. We've all been replaying it. Um I'm at least I beat Mass Effect 1 already. I kind of just blasted through it on casual and got up to Mass Effect 2. I have so many thoughts. I just I want to talk to you both about this series for like 10 hours, but we're going <laughs> to we're going to make a single episode do I suppose. But um, yeah I, I guess to start with how far are you both in this game and just what are you what are you thinking of it? Jason you can go first since I always call on Maddie to go first. Oh <laughs> yes. thank you. What a, the what, a kind, what a kind little <laughs> surprise.
1: Um, yeah well so I, I played all these games when they each came out um, and I really liked them. I've always liked Bioware games. I'm more of a fantasy guy than a sci-fi guy so like Mass Effect didn't resonate with me quite as much as like Baldur's Gate or even Dragon Age but I always mm-hmm. liked them and replay the first game, um, especially, it's easy to see why this game, why this series, has resonated with so many people because there's so much good stuff in there, and so much stuff that's like aged super well. Um, the writing and the the setting and the way that it slowly introduces stuff to you, but also quickly, it, it feels it's very well paced in terms of like throwing proper nouns at you and throwing um, um, lore and terminology, and you're even kind of introduced to the alien races on a grad in a gradual way, so you can get to know like, oh, okay, this is a krogan, this is a, these are the Geth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And the names are all really good. Like, you know, the word when you hear the word Geth, you know that's like evil robots. When you hear the, the word Krogan, you know, that's like a big lumbering something or another, right? <laughs> um, and yeah, it's aged really well, I think. I mean, the combat, obviously, is not uh, great. I played, so I, I played with the first Mass Effect. Um, I played up to, um, I, I got Liara, and then I'm up to Nevaria. Um, so mm-hmm. not, not super far, um, a couple hours in. And then I skipped ahead to, Mass Effect 2, just because I wanted to, to compare and contrast. Um, and Mass Effect 2, you jump in and immediately it's like, whoa, the combat in this game is so <laughs> much better and more modern feeling. Um, with the first game, I, I picked uh, uh, the class where you're a distance shooter, a distant fighter, and so I've been using the sniper rifle. And when you use the sniper rifle on enemies in the first game, like sometimes their health bar doesn't even pop up because you're too far away from them.
0: Which is funny because like using us, they've improved the sniper rifles significantly yeah. from mm-hmm. how it, well, it was real bad when that. Game yeah, first came out yeah, yeah I don't even
1: remember I don't even remember how bad it was in the first game but but it's in general it's a really good remaster I'm playing on PC it all runs really smoothly and, and looks good and sounds good and most of everything is held up except for the combat in ME1 and then you start 2 and it's like man this is so much better in so many ways and so I kind of I want to spend a little bit more time replaying 2 because that is a game that I remember being like really the the, the standout the masterpiece in terms of like m- just the character development and the way that, the, that it's all set up and have martin sheen there to uh to to lecture you jed bartlett style about cerberus he's like man we we have to uh you see both sides of this universe have some good (laughs) ideas and so uh (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and yeah i mean it's it's quite quite a series it's quite a space opera i will say (laughs) nice uh maddie maddie how are you finding it
2: um, I'm loving it. I'm about an hour away from the end. If I had just gone to bed a little mm-hmm. later last night, I would have beaten Mass Effect one and I thought about <laughs> it, but I went to bed instead of that.
1: <laughs> um, that <was> wise.
2: I, <laughs> I played Mass Effect one in 2007, but I have kind of dreamlike memories of it. Like every every now and then I'd be like, oh yeah, this part. And then I more proper nouns or whatever plot points would be thrown at me. And I'd be like, wow, I don't remember any of this <laughs> at all. And I'm sure that will also happen with mm-hmm. Mass Effect 2 and 3 when I get to them. Although... At that point, we're at least getting further in time. And the difference with those two games as well is that I reviewed those games. So I was still in college when the first Mass Effect came out. I was an intern at the Phoenix, but I wasn't reviewing games yet. So I just played Mass Effect 1 in a more casual way in, insofar as you, know, you play a game that you're not taking notes on to review, but I have much stronger memories of the second and third games. So in that way, it was kind of fun to, to replay it and also... I feel like I'm a completely different person than I was 14 years ago. And I don't feel the same way about all the characters. Not in a bad way. I still really enjoy the game. I just, there's certain parts of it that I'm just like, wow, this definitely hits me differently now than it did back then. Like, I used to think that Garrus was the coolest character in the world, and he still is. Like, his voice actor, I don't know who it is, but he has this real Jeremy Irons thing going on. Mm-hmm. And um, I romanced Garris the first time I played the game. This time I'm romancing Liara because I'm trying to change it up. So Garrus is like an ex-cop who's a loose cannon. And all of his <laughs> anecdotes about that, I was just like, I don't know about this. Like, Mm I'm playing this now. I'm like, I don't know if that's that cool, Garrus. I I don't know if maybe you should be torturing people you're interrogating. Maybe you shouldn't (laughs) do that, buddy. That seems kind of bad. I don't know. But, like, he's Mm -hmm. always in the right. He's always... Like, that's, that's kind of the thing about this series is that... You are also superwoman. You are you are always in the right as well. I mean, we can talk about that more when we describe what these games are actually about, but they're kind of like Star Trek, but if Captain Picard were like a super cop who was in control of the entire galaxy and like could decide the fate of it and also made the right decisions every step of the way.
0: Yeah, I want to get into the whole Star Trek of it all and like yeah. where where this series fell in the sort of also in the evolution of Star Trek and in sci-fi on TV specifically, because I think this series has a lot in common with sci-fi TV. Mm -hmm. We can get to that maybe. Because, yeah, I mean, I guess I should recap for everybody. Like, I mean, you play Commander Shepard. You're this person who is essentially elevated to be, yeah, a super cop. Like, you don't have any rules. You become a specter in the first game. And then in each game, you're, you're either reinstated as a specter, or you can actually tell them to screw off in the second game and just be, you know, a rogue badass. But you're always kind of the leader of an army or an elite team that's trying to save everyone while, like, people won't listen to you about the true threat and you're trying mm-hmm. to fight off these these aliens called the Reapers. And, you know, we're not going to do a whole lore explainer, though I wrote a whole lore explainer for this game for Kotaku back in the day. And I do know... I, do, I know my Elcor from my HANAR. But... Um, <laughs> I agree with you, Maddie, that this game hits me differently now when I'm playing it, and it also, I also, you were mentioning how, like, where you were in your career when you played the first game. So each of these three games, Mass Effect 1, Mass Effect 2, and Mass Effect 3, they each came out at different points in my career with regard to video games in a way that really hit me as I was replaying Mass Effect 1. Mass Effect 1 was 2007, which I've mentioned before is the year that I got back into video games, but I was still, like, teaching jazz at a high school and not working in video games at all, and I just totally played. I binged it in a weekend, and I remember just being like, this is so cool that a game is like this, like, that I get to play this, like, sci-fi movie video game. Um, mm-hmm. And then Mass Effect 2 was 2010, which was like, right when I was getting into writing about games. I think I just started at Paste as the game's editor, so it was shortly before I started at Kotaku. The game that
1: launched a billion blogs. Yeah,
0: there was a lot to <laughs> say about that game. And then in 2012, Mass Effect 3 is when I was already at Kotaku, and I was, like, very aware then of that game and, like, the press buildup. I remember going to a preview event for that game in E3, mm-hmm. and then of course the, like, controversy after it came out and all of these like sort of think pieces that were written about the ending and then the subsequent way that that Bioware changed it. So it's like each game is at a different point in my career. And now Legendary Edition is out and I'm like not a games journalist anymore and I can just sort of play through all three of them, which I'm really excited to do. Um, <laughs> so yeah, then I guess just really quickly, my for my part, I started Mass Effect One. And was like, oh, maybe I'll just play a little bit of this. We'll see how it goes. And then immediately was like, oh, my God, I'm going to play this entire game. <laughs> a lot of that sense memory for me is the music. Jack Wall and Sam Hewlett composed the music for the first game with some other composers as well. But that I'm going to go ahead and say that Mass Effect 1 has one of the top five greatest opening main menu themes of all time. It's, um, it's called Vigil, is the piece of music, and here's a fun fact for people listening that I will just tell people that I wrote a Kotaku post about this, but this is a fun thing to listen for. If you're playing this trilogy, in Mass Effect 3, when you're standing on the bridge of the Normandy, like in the main room, the engine vibrations, in the engine vibrations you can hear the pitches of Vigil like playing out very subtly behind the vibration on the engine and I was sitting there playing this game and thought I was hallucinating when Mass Effect 3 (laughs) came out and then I was like I am not hallucinating I was like I it's there that's it and it was like those same chords like it like moves through those notes and I wrote about it and then some one of the composers or someone at Bioware confirmed it they were like oh my god I'm so glad someone finally noticed this like this is for real Kirk from the Future here, I went back and checked out that post. It was actually confirmed in the comments by Rob Blake, who at the time was the audio lead for Mass Effect. He commented on the post to be like, hey, yeah, that was what it was. The post has been mangled by the ravages of time, but the audio in the video that I captured is still there, so I'm actually going to play a clip of that, and I want you to listen for it. You just heard a vigil playing in the podcast, and now listen, you can just hear it kind of subtly nestling its way into the hum of the engines. It's so freaking cool. like I said, it's subtle, but right now that F is playing, and you can hear it kind of resolve down to the E. You hear it? And now it goes down to that D. It's subtle, but easier to hear when the game is paused. When you unpause it, it's still there, it's just harder to hear. Hear it still? See, I just wanted to share that because I think it's really cool. Blake said they hit a lot of stuff like that throughout Mass Effect 2 and 3. So keep your ears out if you're playing the games. All right, back to the show.
1: Bing! Wow. Well, of course, only Kirk Hamilton would notice yeah, it. He have the perfect bitch. I don't bitch. always
0: notice things like that, but I was proud of myself for noticing that. And it is a fun thing to keep an ear out for uh-huh. um, if the two of you play it. So the... This music was the thing that made me play it. And then, like a few hours in, I was kind of like, wow, this game is pretty tedious a lot of the time. Like when oh, you're really yeah. just playing it. And I kicked it down to casual difficulty after a couple hours.
2: I did too. And then
0: just blasted my way through it. It <laughs> took me like less than 10 hours. That is the way to play. I'm going to yeah. actually idea. suggest. It is a good way to go because you can finish the game very quickly. Like it's funny, like when you're at Novaria, you're only a few main story missions from the end of the game. You can do a mm-hmm. few side things, but it's really just like Novaria, right. a couple other places. Then Vermeyer opens up, and that's like right. the big showdown. Right, that's that, the big, yeah, 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 yeah. Which will be well, and we know some people are playing this game for the first time, so we're not going to get into super specifics. There's no reason to.
1: Yeah, we'll avoid spoilers but that this was i mean there's some we should talk about that choice um because i think that choice with being really vague this is a game that really promised so bioware back in the day i don't know how many people like were were following gaming news and following the gaming industry really closely back then but bioware was um back in the early 2000s to mid-2000s, Bioware was really one of the only, if not the only, company that was doing these big story-driven RPGs with choices that had impact on the story. And that was kind of like an unprecedented thing back in the day. And we saw some of it. We saw like early bits and pieces of it with the Infinity Engine games back in the day on PC. And then more of it with KOTOR. And then um, really, Mass Effect was the first game that came out and was like... Don't forget Jade Empire. We are not a podcast that erases Jade Empire good game um, but Mass Effect 1 really like 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 gave you these choices that would really impact the story yeah. in a way that most games would not dare do because most games would not dare ask you to choose like who to sacrifice and like permanently lose from your party for the rest of the game which is a choice in this game I won't spoil all the details but but that's a choice in this game and that was really mind-blowing back then um, the other thing that this game really pioneered that I think is worth noting because it's kind of quaint to look back on now is the concept of a dialogue wheel where a it's a wheel and so it's easy to kind of select options as opposed to just line after line after line which is what most text-based uh, RPGs like with dialogue branching dialogue let you choose from but also also that the options you would choose from weren't actually what you said they were just kind of the gist of what you said and today that's super common you see that in a bazillion games but Mass Effect as far as I can remember was the first game to really do this certainly the first Bioware game to do this before Mass Effect you would choose a line of dialogue and then your character would say that but because Mass Effect was like full production values voice acting they didn't want to have to like go through the the tedium of you reading a line and then seeing it out loud so instead you choose the gist of the line and and then they read it out loud, which is a brilliant, brilliant way to kind of solve that problem. And, and I think it's really cool, even today.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant, though it's also it can go wrong a lot of the time. I think there's been a right. lot of really interesting takes on, for example, Fallout 4, which tried yeah, to do the same to thing, to thing say, and failed. Yeah, Fallout 4, yeah. So it, yeah. it does take good writing. Like, you need to have good synopses. Yes. And usually, Mass Effects are good. There's also just a nice little... For all the terrible UI in this game, which there is just so much, especially in the first game, it's just incredible Like how bad every interface element is. I think that the way that they implement—I guess this is just UX, not UI—but the way they implement the dialogue where you can pick what you're going to say next while the person is still talking, and it's a Mm -hmm. little more like you're like pointing to lines in the script for the actor to say, Uh which then— you know your shepherd will say the line like is usually in a natural flow of conversation that the loading sometimes gets in the way and there's like a weird pause but you know like that's the idea I think that's also like a cool implementation
1: uh-huh. yeah 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 it's uh, the the to your point about the UI I was thinking so in the first game um, the weapons are all just like Avenger and Phoenix or whatever oh these weird generic names don't and even get me started you can't uh, <laughs> even in like in like the radial where you select weapons you can't even see what they do and when you're picking up new weapons it's all just a big mess. It actually reminded me of a game that would come out a few years later called Dragon Age 2 where one of the my big bugbears of that game was that all of the equipment was like called things like ring and you would just have to check it to see what it did. It was all just ring and, yeah. and necklace and stuff. Um, and yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, there's no
2: good way to sort equipment, right? Like you just have to do it manually no. every yeah. single time. It's Or so you can just
0: annoyed. completely ignore inventory which is the actual way to <laughs> yeah, play you the game. Yeah, you just ignore
1: it. Yeah, I think Kirk, I think that's a good idea and maybe I'll Go revisit it. I was enjoying yeah. playing starting two, um, but maybe I'll revisit one with on casual difficulty. It's, and still, more. it's
2: still tedious, though, even with the casual yes. difficulty, just because of the way that the game is designed. Like, yeah,
1: the Mako driving is tedious. Like, yeah, there's
2: there's the Mako. I pronounce it Mako, but I guess I don't I don't Mako. know how that that yeah, vehicle is pronounced. But um, right. it's a it's the infamous vehicle in the game, the truck that you drive around on on planet surfaces. <laughs> I actually don't mind that so much, but I'm playing this game on PC the first time I around I played it on Xbox. So that's already a big difference. And controlling the mako with WASD is fine for me at least. I I don't yeah. mind it. I more feel like the TDM comes into play with like just quests where you need to walk down a really long hallway and press one button and then walk all the way back to talk to Mm. one person about one thing and then walk to another location that's quite far away and do one thing there and then walk back. There's a lot of that in Mass Mm -hmm. Effect. So mm.
0: yes, um, it's just a half baked and tedious game. I have to say, and I think that actually, all that tedium which you just perfectly described like almost every quest objective is like walk to the end of this room and press a button. Every side quest (laughs) environment is identical. There's been much said about all of this and also just the way that every story mission has an obligatory like corridor that you just drive the car down for like (laughs) 10 minutes shooting at turrets and it's just like especially on like you can it's trivial on easy but it makes it more clear just how kind of thin so much of the game is which I think actually emphasizes how strong the strengths are because this game made this huge impact the minute it came out, and everyone was, like, obsessed with all these characters and this story, and it was this huge hit, and, you know, it, like, paved the way for this really big-budget, amazing sequel and it's purely just on the strength of like the story and the world the music i think the music is like a huge really like can't say enough about how much yeah. i think the music did to like cast the game's spell but it's all that stuff that when you really play the game you're like okay this is bioware they'd kind of never made a console game like this before they clearly didn't know how to make a shooter they like, didn't have people on staff who were good at shooters they weren't good at like controller interfaces the way that like the things that some buttons do and other buttons don't do on the controller are just totally demented when you're like do- when you're used to playing Modern games. But then it's fine because the strengths are so good. And also, the last act of Mass Effect 1 is just incredible. Like, I remember finishing it and then just playing it again. I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is so much stronger than a lot of the rest of the game. Like, once you get back to the Citadel and like the whole final stuff is going down really really cool. And then for me anyways, it was so worth playing through the game because I could make that jump into Mass Effect 2. And I was like, I'm w- this is the whole reason I'm doing this. Is I want to experience again the feeling that I had playing the first hour of Mass Effect 2, which one of the most like exciting beginnings to a game. Like the beginning of that game is just like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. And it was so cool playing it and seeing what happens when you just have way more people, clearly way more money and time and like resources. Everything about it is like up. It's not just the combat. It's like the writing, the lighting, the graphics, the characters, the voice actors. You've got Martin Sheen and um, what's her name from Chuck? And then uh, the guy, uh, Saul Ty from Battlestar Galactica and Carrie Ann Moss and like all these famous great actors. And like, it's just the way that it jacks itself up for Mass Effect 2 is amazing. And I'm looking forward to playing Mass Effect 2 for like ever. I'm going to do everything in that game, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah awesome. and the combat is really so striking like you get in and it's yeah. like oh my god there's ammo now so you don't have to worry about your weapon <laughs> freaking <laughs> overheating all the time which is right. such a pain in the ass um and like wow it actually feels like you're hitting the enemies and you're not just kind of like shooting shooting blobs and like watching mm-hmm. a reticle <laughs> kind of look weird yeah it's it's definitely a yeah and there's
2: like the wheel for your abilities right instead mm-hmm. of i haven't even gotten to mass effect 2 yet but i still remember that the controls mm-hmm. for controlling your special abilities. Are just significantly easier to use. Yeah. than in this version where it's like you press Shift and then you select something, like it's it's so such
1: a mess. Like you can but only. I don't
2: care because I loved it,
1: Maddie. You should play with a controller on PC. That's what I've been doing, and it's way better.
2: I mean, okay, but I'm enjoying the sniper rifle finally being good mm. and just clicking on heads.
0: So it's not mm. better with a controller because on with a controller you can still only hotkey one ability of this like huge weird wheel of abilities that you have and like right. some of the, one of them is just an ability that makes your gun work <laughs> it's like you know the one it's like gun yeah. marksman or whatever and it just makes yeah. your gun good for like five seconds <laughs> like, yeah and then, so I'm always like having to pause the game what's Mass Effect 2 it's been interesting playing it right after Mass Effect 1 in a lot of ways like just so interesting like people could skip straight to Mass Effect 2 if they don't have time like that would be fine especially because they included the Genesis comic they did with Dark Horse which is super cool I love Loved that comic! I think it was like only in the PlayStation Three version of Mass Effect Two at first, but now everyone can finally see it and it's really good. And you can like make all the choices from Mass Effect One if you want. But mm-hmm. see, like playing the game right afterward, it's like it's interesting if you're interested in video games. Like a thing they change is that you you don't have cooldowns on individual abilities, you just have one cooldown. So, like, you'll use a biotic ability, and then you just have a cooldown time that's a few seconds, and that little thing around your reticle, it's like a ring that goes open, and then once it's closed, boom, you can do your ability again. So, I'm playing Mass Effect 2, I switched classes to be a Vanguard, which is the most fun class, I think, in Mass Effect 2, um, where your special ability is that you do this charge, you, like, warp through the wall, and just blast into people, like, and you do all this damage and like knock them back and then you have a shotgun and you can just shoot people so it's like it's a thing that would never ever work in Mass Effect 1 at all even though that class exists they just completely changed it and because of the way that abilities work you can regularly just charge your way around the field and it's so fun like it just it's actually fun to play where in Mass Effect 1 it's just totally bizarre like the artificial intelligence in Mass Effect 1 the way those enemies will just run at you like what is going on
2: (laughs) it's just so weird your teammates don't help you at all I mean I thought that was the AI that I thought you we're going to talk about is just the fact that you're going to have to carry them around. I was (laughs) doing that mission where you have to try to not kill all of the villagers. There's like 16 villagers that you need to not kill. And I was on the last one and Rex just killed the villager. And I was (laughs) like, dude, why? (laughs) And so it's like 50 villagers survived. And I'm like, are you serious right now? Like, why did, why did I do this? (laughs) But I still love the game. I should, I really can't complain. I mean, the thing, the thing about the game that I love so much that we can get to is like it's the characters it's deciding who you want to ally with it's talking to people mm-hmm. for like three hours about their feelings and their backstories and their parents or wh- whatever nonsense they've got going on that right. is all worth opera. it to me it is a soap opera yes. it is it is Star Trek but it's more like DS9 flavored than TNG flavored in a lot of ways
0: yeah so I a striking thing especially about the first Mass Effect is how especially playing it on casual the combat is so clearly filler yes. And it's like I've said like I already said you know like we've all said it's it's not the strength of the game like it's not the thing that made people like the game and i think these days like this many years later if one thing has changed it's that more people are okay with the idea of a game where the whole game would just be you know you're a bit of a more of a picard than you are Mm -hmm. a commander shepherd like you don't bring a gun to every situation it's a lot more you know going with tally to like represent her in the trial, which is like the most Star Trek shit. How you know how Picard is like always the guy who has to go be the be the lawyer for whoever like or represent. Yeah, yeah but that you stuff know, is um, awesome. <laughs> yeah,
2: it rules. And it's Yeah, fun. and that's
0: always the best stuff. Like those are the most memorable moments. Um and and, and you know what I think there's more appetite for a game that wouldn't even need the combat, as, as good as the combat became in the later games, where yeah. you could just make a, like, Quantic Dream-style or Telltale-style version of this, and it's actually kind of surprising that no one did. Like, one thing that sticks out to me this game, and I, I'm wondering if this is sticking out to the two of you, is the ambition of this series— has actually not been matched in this specific way of, like, telling a three-part, like, TV, yeah. three-season with, like, a massive series finale, like, with that kind of storytelling ambition. There have been other <laughs> ambitious games, but no one's tried that since. And I wonder what the two of you make of why that might be. Well,
1: what game publisher is going to commit to, like, a three-game deal <laughs> before seeing how the first one even performs? I mean, um, mm-hmm. It reminds me of Xeno Saga, which is this Japanese series of games that was made by Monolith before they started making Xenoblade, but after Xeno Gears, which was a success. And the director of the game wanted it to be a six part game, and he announced it as like a six part epic saga, but like. <laughs> eventually it got to game two and it was like all right we just have to end this with three um and he was not able to to realize his what he his dream his vision um because the games just didn't sell enough to justify a six game saga and i mean that's that's what happens in game development i mean we've talked about game development's various woes it's it's very difficult to say we're going to commit to 400 million dollars to make a a, a three a trilogy (laughs) an epic trilogy i
0: suppose you don't have to commit though you can just kind of Try it and make the first game and see if it's good sure. and sort of build from there. Sure, yeah.
2: I feel like that's almost what Mass Effect 1 does. Like, obviously, yeah. the game continues, but There's a version of that ending that I feel would work if they just changed a couple things. Like, There's a version of it where you could have the story end at the end of Mass Effect 1 and have it be cohesive. And I feel like it's written that way in part because over the course of development they were probably like, we might just have this be a one and done. But then obviously the game was going well enough. Maybe they did enough playtesting that they were like, people are going to love this. They're going to love these wacky aliens. They're going to (laughs) fall in love with them. They're going to (laughs) want to hang out with them for two more games. And Mm -hmm. then they just made the ending more more open-ended but I I do it did feel kind of speculative to me I feel like the only other comparable thing is Dragon Age obviously which is just Mm -hmm. another Bioware game Mm -hmm. and when people describe missing Bioware and the original Bioware like the pre-anthem Bioware this is what they mean I think is is the the fantasy novel style of it's a series you get to know many characters and a ton of lore about this world and you care about the world and saving it because you're always saving the world in a video game no (laughs) and that's that's what people miss i mean it's it's what i miss which is why i'm still playing this video game even though i think the saving the world stuff is pretty corny by 2021 storytelling standards i'm still like yeah whatever it rules to be a character who is awesome and everybody keeps talking about how (laughs) awesome i am all the time because i am awesome
0: right yeah commander shepherd is pretty awesome
1: these yeah. days, I feel like most game developers, because the stakes are so high, so much higher than they were in 2007. The budgets are so much higher than they were back then. Development costs are higher. Everything's higher. Risks are higher. Um, I think that uh, more or there are fewer game developers who would be willing to um, uh, put in budget for a game that is like, Eight playable characters, but the player can only control three, and so the player will not actually get to experience like the bulk of the story, or even just the big choice. Like you will permanently lose a character, and we have to script and and create scenes for like all the different permutations of ways that could happen. Because like all that shit is expensive, and I just don't know that there's an appetite for it because the bar has been raised so high for like what publishers and gamers expect for graphical fidelity that like everything is just so much more expensive to do on a Mass Effect today. Like they. Probably Probably would have cut half of those choices uh, from from the final game because it was all just too expensive.
0: Maybe, yeah. I I think it kind of requires maybe rethinking what the game would look like. Like I look mm. at the fact that Netflix, for example, is very excited and interested in getting into making video games, mm-hmm. and imagine some not as ludicrously expensive as. You know, version Like, the one that we're imagining is the ultra-polished, you know, that looks right. like a modern version right. of this with all this stuff. Like, Anthem, you know, that kind of thing. Like, right. a massive, on, always-on world with characters. Because that's
1: what fans expect. It's worth noting. Like, that's what the expectation is.
0: Okay, but fans can expect one thing, and someone could give people something that they weren't expecting that's mm-hmm. really great. And I could see, like, th- it feels so much, playing this game feels so much like... Getting a box set for a show that I really love with like extended scenes. Like the fact that all the DLC is included, there was so much DLC for Mass Effect 2 and now it's all just seamlessly into the game. Like I met Kasumi on the Citadel and she's just right there and you can do the Lair of the Shadow Broker and like all these really cool stories. Uh-huh. And there's a couple of those in Mass Effect 1 that I did too, the one where the asteroid is like heading toward New Terra. And those feel so much like episodes of a TV show. And I remember even at the time being like, this is all I want is like, I don't want this main narrative to start to speed towards conclusion like it is a very sad moment for me in Mass Effect 2 when there's kind of a point of no return in the story like I just it it stresses me out like I hate that like I, my favorite part <laughs> of the game is when you're just doing side missions and like Having adventures, and each one is like an hour, hour and a half long. And it's like, because <laughs> it's, it's
1: like you're getting to the final season of your favorite show, and it's like, oh right. no, this is sad. Oh no, there's killing off my favorite characters. Now this is really Yeah, they're going to
0: reveal all the mm-hmm. twists that I don't like, and some that I do, and you know, whatever. And I'm very curious how it's going to be playing Mass Effect 3 just because I only finished that game, I think, once. Um, I had mixed feelings about the ending, but didn't hate it. I'm definitely not a hater. But there's all this DLC to Mass Effect 3. Like, there's Mass Effect 3 Omega, where uh-huh. you go back to Omega, and there's, like, a whole thing with Aria. And, like, I never played I never played any of it because it was yeah, so... me either. Right? It was so final. It was like, well, the game is over. I'm not going to go back now. I played Citadel. I reviewed Citadel for Kotaku, and Citadel is amazing. Like, mm-hmm. having Citadel before the ending of the game, I would imagine that on its own would, like, really improve the just feeling of finality to the series but i'm i'm planning on finishing it and i'm kind of curious what that'll be like And it just, it feels so much like watching a DVD box set of a TV show that I have to be like, this can't be the last time this happens. There's no other game series that's quite like this. And I want there (laughs) to be more just because it's really cool.
1: Well, so I'm curious, um, without spoiling too much, obviously there was a massive controversy over the ending of Mass Effect 3. People, players felt like, a lot of players felt like it didn't give them any real choice or like their choices didn't matter in the end. Again, not getting into specifics here. But um, then Bioware put out, was was essentially a deal I think they called it the final cut or something like that, that changed Mm -hmm. the ending. Um, I assume that's the version in this game it is. that is like a revised ending um, I don't actually remember anything about what they change or how they changed it but is it satisfying to people
0: do you think? I don't know I mean I, I don't know how pe- I can't speak for people it's it's they add some more stuff but it's not like they changed the ending to be a different ending like it's still functionally the same they just add some stuff to it so it's like more fleshed out um, I watched it. it I never actually played it but I'll be curious to see it all in context and like the same way that beginning Mass Effect 2 right after Mass Effect 1 Like there's the scene where you revisit the Normandy early on in Mass Effect 2 that uh-huh. having just been there in Mass Effect 1 was like much cooler than it having been a few years. Like all of that kind of stuff are characters that I remember. There's a great scene where Morden references Captain Kirahi who's the Salarian commander on Vermeier. And he gives this speech that you both aren't there yet but you'll probably remember where he's like, we held the line. He's like, before there was this the silent step there was the armada and we held the line. We'll hold the line. And he gives this it's like a, it's I a have seen speech. It's a good speech. Yeah, I
2: know what you're talking about. And yeah.
0: Morton is like, oh, I loved working for Kirahi. A little bit long-winded. Love <laughs> to give a good speech. We must hold the line. And I was like, I remember that guy. I was just there. it's like, <laughs> amazing. Because it's
2: like an unskippable cutscene. Like there are some cutscenes where you yeah. can kinda like tab through somebody's monologue, uh-huh. but that uh-huh. one is not one of those. No, ones they're like, You're <laughs> getting this speech <laughs> funny. Yeah. So
0: there's a lot of stuff like that where just because I'm playing it all at once, I'm just appreciating it in a different way, and I wonder how the final acts and the sort of ending will feel, just having I'm gonna pretty much just play through this game pretty consistently over the next month or whatever. Uh-huh. Like, I wonder what that'll be like. <laughs> you're like,
1: screw Final Fantasy six. Mm-hmm. Are you are bit. you
2: two really not gonna tell me who you romanced in these games? We've gone oh, on well, so I'll long, you. and you're not you're not coming clean. I told you to. Tell me. <laughs> I've
0: played them a lot of times. Um, so I played. It's funny. My like first times through Mass Effect are kind of a blur. Like I played Mass Effect One as a dude. It was like before everyone knew that Jennifer Hale's performance was so great as Femshep. Mm-hmm. And now I like. See her as the only, the one true shepherd, basically. I feel so bad for Mark Muir sometimes. Totally good actor. <laughs> he plays like a Vorcha in Mass Effect 2 and he's great too. He like does other voices. He's mm-hmm. like I feel like almost no actor has been as unfairly maligned as Mark Mir. Yes. And it's just yeah. because there's this other great performance. <laughs> well, that... you
1: say that, but like the stat is like 80% of players are male shepherds, so I don't know if he's like in the real world. Yeah, but come on, you know he knows about he knows what people say. Yeah,
2: I mean a lot of people don't even know that. Jennifer Hale is is fantastic as as the female shepherd, but also like a lot of the voice acting is kind of wooden in, in Mass Effect One. Like I know it improves as as time goes on, mm-hmm. but like there were certainly some moments in there where, when I was like, no one is really bringing it in the scene. But I think that's partly because it was a game that was doing something so different, and there's so much dialogue that you have to deliver that I don't know. I think it's a challenge. So I don't I don't blame mm-hmm. Mark Muir. I I think he was trying his best. So,
0: no, I don't either. And I've I've heard he's very good And then the final scenes, actually, in Mass Effect 3, the Shepard really has some stuff to work with. And I remember Jennifer Hale just kills me in, like, the final hours of Mass Effect 3. Like, that's one of the reasons that I like the ending of the game is because she's so good. Like, I really came to believe in my Commander Shepard as, like, this person. So Mm -hmm. I think of her as my main Shepard. But I played as both, which has different romance options. Mm -hmm. I'd forgotten that in... Mass Effect One, you can only romance three characters. You can only romance Liara, um, Caden or Ashley. And That's so right. if you're if you're a female character, like each basically it's totally strict and like Liara can can romance male and female characters so it's basically like you get one option and then like Liara's for both Mm -hmm. and like that it's so limited compared to where this series went which is also I think a reflection of how they were like oh people love this shit (laughs) yeah like oh people
2: want to date Garrus first of all what's wrong with all of them but second of all (laughs) what isn't wrong with them because Garrus is perfect I see
0: it It, (laughs) now that I've just met him in Mass Effect 2 Garrus is hot even though I'm I'm with you on him being even though he's
2: a bird alien he's still right
0: and he's like got some fascistic tendencies (laughs)
2: A little bit, but
0: but, um, but no, he's got so much swagger, and yeah, his voice actor is great. Um, so, anyways, I think I've romanced Liara. I did Liara again this time, um, through just because like Caden has never been my favorite. He's a very handsome man, but you know, Liara is like just Mm -hmm. much more of a important character in the run of the series. And then, I don't know, I, I was Thane all the way in Mass Effect 2 and then Mass Effect 3, which is an incredible story. Yeah. I might do that again, because I was thinking about Garrus, because Garrus is so cool. But then I was kind of like, you know, Garrus, <laughs> like, I'm not totally on board with you in a sort of similar way. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't sure. Um, what about you, Jason?
1: I don't, I don't remember. I don't I. Maybe you don't were a single. I don't know if I even did. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I even did. I just have no memory of, of... But, like, romance... I've never really cared about romance in these games, unfortunately. I know. I have nothing but respect for people who are. It was
2: such a hot topic with, with this game, though. I
1: know. With all the Bioware games, like, nothing but respect for people who do care. But, like, I just has never been, for me, the video game romance. I don't think I've ever enjoyed a video game romance unfortunately I wanted to but, I
2: mean valid yeah
1: I just yeah doesn't and you know what it's the thing that like I remember trying to get a sex scene in Mass Effect 2 I might have actually um, or one of them maybe three I, I might have actually um, had Shepard sleep with the navigator which you can do at one point um, or like the, the receptionist or whatever it is I yeah, don't which is questionable in Mass Effect which 2 which is extremely yeah. questionable but I remember thinking that the the sex scenes themselves are so terrible that it just oh, they're really awful took me oh, they're Very so awkward. awkward I mean, I mean, and yes. I think that, that always kind of made me wonder like, why are people so into the romance? But I again I respect that people are into the, the characters and like the romance. I mean, but it's just like I
2: don't think they're into the sex scenes. I feel like they're no. into the romance for the same reason that people are into the story in the games. Like just the idea yeah, yeah, of like yeah. no, having I a well rounded character. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Who, that's that's not the
1: point. The point is more yeah. that the sex scenes are so ridiculous that they kinda of took me out of it. Um, I know. They really are. You know though, it's very interesting to look at how
0: Bioware's developers and writers directors like got better at just scenes of intimacy and I guess you could call them sex scenes sure. but they're, they're barely sex scenes because I always think about the Iron Bull sex scene in Dragon Age Inquisition which totally different team but I'm uh-huh. sure a lot of people who learn lessons from Mass Effect and like how they lean more into humor like the, that scene just to kind of quickly recap it for people, it's like, Iron Bull is this big, huge dude, and, you know, you can have, like, I think male and female characters can, like, have this liaison with him, and he's great, Freddie Prince Jr. voices him, who's also actually mm-hmm. in Mass Effect 3, and there's just this scene where, like, you're, you like, post coital in the bed, and then people keep walking in to give you updates, and then when they walk in, they're like, oh god, I didn't realize, and, like, <laughs> but then soon, like, everyone is just in the room with you, because they keep not leaving, and it's like, Iron Bull is just loving it, and you're both kind of, like, sitting there, and people keep talking, and it's really, really funny, it's, like, an amazing Amazing scene and it's also like intimate and cute and like it like you said Maddie it's like great writing for the character and it's like that's kind of why it's a really good reward for <laughs> someone who likes Iron Bull and would want to like you know get a really fun what scene it's with like. him yeah. rather than like the reward being and now you get to see like his butt or whatever which is sort of how it feels in Mass Effect 1 it's like look Liara's got a I blue know. butt <laughs> like, yeah, check it and out. you get to see
2: her side boob or whatever it's, yeah. it's really silly though because the end of the sex scene no matter who you sleep with you they wake up naked in bed, and then you're just and you're already standing closed. there fully clothed, it's like so on the weird. other side of the room, like, hey, just like watching them sleep, and you're yes. like, hey, that was really good. It's uh-huh. like, oh, what this is the most yes. awkward that how thing I've sex ever works? seen in my life. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> it's... I had fully clothed sex with Yara, yes. who was completely naked. In the yeah, game. that's
1: <laughs> that's how it works. Completely um, I, works. I guess so, but, but to, I think, I think you had asked Maddie your favorite character, and I always, yeah. my favorite character was always Morden, um, which I think is also, he only comes in and in, in Mass Effect 2, mm-hmm. if I remember right. correctly, so so uh, I think that's another reason that I just didn't like Mass Effect 1 didn't resonate with me as much I think Mass Effect 2 is really when I started like loving the cast and like mm-hmm. really getting into it I finished I Mass Effect 1 when it came yeah. out but like wasn't as into it as I got into it.
0: yeah they kind of mm-hmm. There's good writing in Mass Effect 1 the very beginning mission I remember there's this line it's when you're talking to I think it's Caden but it might be um, Seth Green to Joker Joker also
1: one of my favorites Joker yeah he
2: does a great job voice acting
1: that. Yes. Seth Green is excellent.
0: Yeah, he is yeah. great. And he gets a lot more to do. He's very, very good. There's a scene where they're talking about Captain Anderson um, and uh, someone just says, like, the guy's got so many metals that he could melt them all down and then make a statue of himself out of them. Like, there's just a lot of, like, fun <laughs> writing like that that was just kind of on a level above most other video games, which had been yeah. true of Bioware for a while. So there's this, like, crackle in the dialogue a lot. There's, like, inventive writing and just mm-hmm. a lot of fun language just in sort of day-to-day language. But... The characters aren't really cracked until Mass Effect Two, and then in Mass Effect yeah. Two, it's fully like, okay, now we're gonna like apply the same level of care to the characters, and we're uh. gonna get like that's where all the iconic characters come from, and it's where the characters who were in the first game return and become iconic, like mm-hmm. uh, um, Garrus's turn basically in Mass Effect Two is like mm-hmm. that's when he becomes an interesting character. I remember mm-hmm. finding him so boring in Mass Effect One the first time I played him, and yeah. then um, Rex is, I guess the exception but that's really just because he has a great voice actor and kind of yeah
1: that's just his personality also
0: yeah fun personality it says shepherd
2: i like rex i feel like he's interesting i yeah. but i always thought the krogan's were just an interesting plotline in general just because it goes along with the whole idea of just the different alien species having different cultures and the culture mm-hmm. clash i mm-hmm. mean tolly's an interesting character to me for the same reason where it's like oh there's this this being who's from a totally different world looks completely different from you and you get to learn more about her life and like mm-hmm. what her situation is and i mean that is the the fun part of the games to me it's not just like oh yeah you get to romance like aliens but it's also like you get to know the aliens and be friends with people who are different from you and that's the star trek esque message i mean it's very corny I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say the game is like really teaching you a lot about bigotry although i think when it first came out i thought that but by mm. today's standards i'm kind of like oh this is very heavy-handed <laughs> but it's still it's still enjoyable yeah, on it's some still level nice to, to uh-huh. be like okay yeah all these different species are working together and they're trying to get along despite how different they are and how their cultures have clashed or like they're at literal war with one another in other, you know, star systems and they have to deal with that. Um, those are the draws. Um,
0: yeah, the Korians are an interesting one because there are things about their society that I had forgotten, like that the Admiralty Board is able to overrule mm-hmm anything, yeah. like, but they, once they do, they have to resign, which I just think I is, like, that was an so interesting cool. idea. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot
1: of stuff like that in the game. I think it's mm-hmm.
0: striking that the story of the Quarians, which is basically we created AI, and then they turned on us and destroyed us, and now we're in a ragtag fleet, like, trying to survive, is essentially the story of Battlestar Galactica. And that, I think that, like, just to put it in the Star, the Star Trek timeline here at the end, the way that Battlestar Galactica sort of flipped the script on Star Trek, and, of course, was created and show run by Ron Moore who was like a next generation like, uh, and also I think another one of the other shows anyways he's like a Trek guy who then created Battlestar Battlestar was way more like moral grey areas torture, political commentary like you know having to make sacrifices people dying for real and all this stuff that Mass Effect was tapping into rather than the sort of more utopian um, you know the ideas that the next generation had been tapping into a decade earlier and it's interesting to look now at how Shows like The Expanse and even Star Trek Picard they look like Mass Effect. Like, they take a lot of the design, the, like, floating holo LEDs, the look of the ships. Picard looked a lot like Mass Effect and felt like a Mass Effect game, like assembling a crew and stuff. Hmm. It's just that it's also got some Star Trek to it, and it's at its strongest when it's more Trekkie. Like, looking at the way that sci-fi now is drawing from Mass Effect after Mass Effect was drawing from sci-fi at the time, like, it's a really interesting time capsule for that period, the sort of, I guess, Obama years period of (laughs) sci-fi. Um, Starting, you know, when they started making the game in two thousand and four, like the late Bush era, and then Mm -hmm. up till today, and sort of just to, I like kind of pondering what a modern Mass Effect would look like because Andromeda ain't it, but there's something, there's more in that world. Like there's, there is definitely room for a new one. Well, we're gonna get one. We're gonna get a modern Mass Effect.
2: Yeah, hard to imagine. Some
0: point, it is hard to imagine. Maybe they'll go back in time to like the beginnings, and like a prequel? rather than The first contact a, yeah, prequel, right? Yeah, with the Turians, like the Turian war. Maybe they'll just call it Mass Effect. <laughs> they'll call it the Mass Effect. Oh man, the Mass Effect. Mass Effect: yeah. Modern Warfare, Rise of the Mass Effect. Well, when they do that, we'll be back to talk about it more, and we may we might wind up doing a Beanscast here down the road on this trilogy because I think I'm gonna finish the whole thing, and Maddie, I think you were saying yeah, you I might too. Right, yeah. That'd be so. a fun one. So stay tuned on that. But in the meantime, let's take a break and we'll be back for one more thing. I'm Dallas Taylor, host of 20,000 Hertz, a podcast that reveals the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. For instance, the startup sound for the original Xbox was made with five basic ingredients. So now I've got my palette. I've got sawtooth. I've got triangle. I've got white noise. I've got a thunder sound. I actually wrote a little bit of code to reverse it. So now I had a reversed thunder sound. And I had my glockenspiel. And,
2: and when you're recording monster sounds for Minecraft, it helps to have the
0: flu. My throat was shot, and I was like, this is the perfect location to make zombie sounds. So I just gurgled into a microphone. <laughs> While you're listening to this episode, go over and subscribe to 20,000 Hertz right here in your podcast player. And once this episode's over, I'll meet you over there. Somewhere between science and superstition, there
1: is a podcast. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself.
0: That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is. And it's Ono oh Ross and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. Or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono oh No, Ross and Carrie on MaximumFun.org.
2: Are you riddled with guilt over your TBR pile? Are you filled with shame about a book that you just can't seem to finish? Are you having regrets because grad school killed your love of reading? We're Reading Glasses, and
1: we're here to
0: help. I'm Mallory. And I'm Bria. Let us absolve you
2: of all your reading guilt. Stuck on a book you don't like? We'll help you dump it. Can't figure out what to read next? We'll recommend something in your wheelhouse. Can't decide where to buy your books from? We'll
1: point you in the right direction. No matter what you read or how you read it, we'll help you do it better. Green glasses every Thursday on Maximum Fun.
0: And we're back for one more thing. Jason, why don't you go first?
1: Oh, man. Okay. I really have to get into this one. So I hope you guys are ready. I've been playing a game called World's End Club, and this game um, has been out on Apple Arcade for a while, not in its complete form. Um, It ends on kind of a cliffhanger, but the complete game is released on Switch on May 28th. I've been playing an early code provided by the publisher. And this game is wild. Man, I don't even know how to feel about this game. I both love it and hate it at the same time. So this Mm. game is directed, written, directed by Kotaru Uchikoshi, who is the writer and director of 999 and Zero Escape and uh, that whole series. And it is the creative director is Kazutaka Kudaka, who is the writer and director of the Danganronpa series. So you (laughs) think a game by these two powerhouses would just be incredible, right? right? This is like Um, the blind faith of of Japanese visual novels. (laughs) So this game starts off with this incredible concept. You are trapped, or familiar concept, I should say, but you are trapped in this um, underwater theme park with a group of kids, and each kid has a wristband on them, and that wristband says what another one of the kids has has to do like a task for them, like one of them is eat a marshmallow. And if that kid finds the wristband with his task on it, um does the task, they get to escape and everyone else dies. So it's like a death game, um everyone is, is trapped okay. by this cute talking animal. And then half an hour into the game, they all break out and suddenly it becomes a road trip. Um suddenly it becomes a platformer huh. game instead of a, a visual novel. And <laughs> what? it is what? The worst platformer game I've ever played in my life. Like it is the least fun platformer re- mechanics that I've ever ever played. Well, um, so this it's a game about like a destroyed version of Japan, like a post-apocalyptic world. And there's a lot of like interesting sci-fi concepts and cool plot twists and stuff like that. The stuff you'd expect from a game by the creators of Danganronpa and Zero Escape, but it is also a terrible platformer and so Mm. it is this game where like you are zipping between like action sequences and then story sequences and the story sequences are really intriguing and interesting despite a few like kind of Japanese cliche quirks like there's one kid who's fat or like chubby and so his whole plot line is that he eats all the time um, Mm. and is obsessed with food but like Mm. aside from that stuff the story is really interesting and intriguing and explores some interesting themes and then it's just constantly peppered with these platform Platforming sections that are truly horrible. Each kid in the game gets a superpower and um, that superpower is reflected in the platforming sections and it is just like the most oh my god I can't even describe how bad it is in addition to feeling like super clunky and horrible to control and just terrible in every way it also like <laughs> pauses every time you get to anything to tell you what to do it's like uh-huh. they can't even trust you to figure things out it'll like True. literally tell you what to do every step of the way god it's the worst um and so here's a little bit of an anecdote before I before I finish this off so I'm um, near the end of the game um I just got to this sequence that felt like the climax and the way that it works is essentially as you go on this road trip you make choices and the story branches based on those choices and, and you'll see like, you see kind of this timeline that's like a stage select screen and you see like, okay, I Mm -hmm. went up. Oh, okay. I went down. Um, but when you get to this climax, at the end of the game, you actually have to go back and revisit all those choices and play through the alternate paths, which means even more platforming. And I was so excited to get to the end of the game, and like I fought this boss that I thought was the final boss, and I'm like, oh my god, no more of this platforming. And then it's like, no, go back and do all the alternate paths. Sorry, past. this is a Japanese video game. The final boss is never the final boss. Oh my <laughs> god, dude. But it's like, the other games that these guys have made don't have
0: like terrible gameplay. There, it's like, there was a Danganronpa game that was like a first-person shooter, wasn't there?
1: Oh, yeah, but that was a spin-off, and you didn't really have to play That's sort of the same
0: idea, though, where it's like, why are you trying to do this? But,
1: like, puzzle-solving in these games is usually really good. Like, the puzzle-solving in the Zero Escape games is mostly good. Puzzle-solving in Dangarapa is mostly good, and that's mostly talking anyway. It's like a weird trial section that's pretty fun. But, like, these games are great. This game is not, and I'm really sad about it because like, it's too bad. I, I would not recommend it to anyone because of the platforming. It's so bad that like I, I would just watch the cutscenes online if you're curious about the story. <laughs> like it's it's that the platforming is that it's bad. It's
2: Funny that you played so much of it and you. Didn't I'm just like, like it. so
1: intrigued by the story that every single night I'm like picking up the switch and like like angrily playing through it, and I'm like so frustrated at myself for playing through it. But Amazing. like. I, I'm just so but the story is good and like the, the plot the, the characters are really cool and interesting and there are a lot of good ones and I, I like so much about it that it makes it really frustrating how bad the bad parts are you know you guys have played games like that where yep. where you're so into a part of it that it like it makes you want to keep playing but also you get even more frustrated by the awful parts than you would if it was just like okay this is a bad game I'm not going to play anymore so instead mm-hmm. you have to suck up the bad and it's really really frustrating and I hate it so much much but also it's 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 fun (laughs) nice um all right maddie what's your one more
0: thing
2: sure mine is a tv show it's a hulu original series it's eight episodes it's called little fires everywhere and it is based on a book by celeste Ng. And it stars Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington, which in and of itself should recommend the show because they're both just powerhouses, chewing scenery together, bouncing off each other angrily. That should sell it to you, but I will provide more details. It's a thriller. The very opening first shots of the show are that Reese Witherspoon's beautiful suburban mansion is burning to the ground and she's staring at it in shock and then for the rest of the eight episodes you're like which character is going to burn Reese's house down is it going to be <laughs> Reese herself and there's all these different thriller moments where you're like well this person would certainly be motivated to do it or oh well what about this person and then mm-hmm. but it takes you back in time um to Carrie Washington being just this single mother on the run seems like she's homeless. Reese Witherspoon sort of takes pity on her and is like, oh, I'll I'll rent you this apartment at like a reduced rate. And they have all these awkward, like kind of racist conversations. And you're like, oh, well, I get why Kerry Washington might not like Reese Witherspoon. But then a series of continuously absurd, increasingly absurd thriller events happen that I don't even know how to spoil because this show is so unpredictable (laughs) and includes so many family dramatic twists that. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, um, but it ruled and it's about motherhood and grief and a bunch of other like unsettling themes, but it's also just cool. So yeah, I recommend mm. it. It's a good yeah, this
1: Yeah. So it's only eight episodes and then it's yeah. over. That's yeah. like the biggest. I'm Love sold. I, I'm going to go watch it. Yeah. I'm going to watch <laughs> it this weekend. Enjoy. Yeah, I'm all about the new, the new limited series trend. Little fires everywhere. Yeah. I'm into Little it. Little
2: fires everywhere. Nice.
0: Yeah. I've heard good things, but that's cool to hear. My one more thing is Subnautica Below Zero. Which is a game that I have been playing now that it's in 1.0 after completing Subnautica the first, which is just called Subnautica. Oh, you finished that?
1: I didn't realize that you finished the whole game. Oh, okay. Yeah, I cool. played
0: a lot of it. I really liked that game a lot. So I said at the time when I, I think it was one more thing, I was like, I'll talk about it more. And then I did something else for my one more thing later. So I did finish Subnautica and now I'm playing Below Zero just because I really liked it. It's a great time to be discovering Subnautica and to really like it because there's mm-hmm. two full games, one of which is a lot smaller and um, Below Zero is a lot smaller. Bing! Kirk from the future here, interrupting myself just to give the summary that I, for some reason, didn't give uh, during this one more thing. Subnautica is basically an underwater crafting game. I did talk about it just a few weeks ago, but just in case you didn't hear that episode. You know, you swim around under the ocean, you craft stuff, you craft more stuff, you make a new truck, you get in the truck, you craft compartments for the truck. It's a crafting exploration, and there's sort of a story that you uncover on this alien world where you're underwater. That's what Subnautica is. It's really cool, but okay. Back to past Kirk. Take it away. Bing! Um, I do like Below Zero. It's they've changed some stuff from Subnautica that I don't love. This is a kind of a common opinion, but they've like added more story. There's a voiced protagonist, which is not just not really my favorite, even though I get what they're trying to do. And I also like how they've they've increased the diversity. Mm-hmm. Basically, like you know, just like there's like more specificity to it, and it makes the game just feel. like it feels like more like it's real people like in a real place can
1: you can you back up a second is this like is this a totally new game or is it taking subnautica and doing something different with it like how does this relate to the first game so it's it's just like Subnautica
0: but smaller. It was a re- initially I believe planned to be a DLC and so it's just a person returning to the same planet as you went landed on in Subnautica where you swam around underwater. So
1: different story in the same setting. Yes. And
0: okay. um a lot of the same yeah like carry. It's like a sequel, you know, it's, I mean imagine it as a DLC that just got too big and they released it as a stand. Got it. Okay. Makes and then sense. they changed yep. a bunch of stuff in the process. There's a lot of streamlining, which is good. Like it's more user friendly. You don't have to figure out what you're doing quite as much. There's just like little quality of life things that are really nice. You get crafting and making stuff a lot faster, which is cool. But it's also, I don't know, there's something that I like about the shagginess of the original game where you're just kind of playing and it takes you a long time to even figure out that there is a story, but then there really is one and it's this really neat process of exploration and discovery that goes on for this over this huge amount of space and depth and you know, over time, where this game is much more like, here's the narrative, you're looking for this person, your, per, your character is kind of talking a lot, like there's places you find there's other actual characters in the game who talk to you and stuff. Like it has a much more, you know, high-budget feel, which makes sense because they made a lot of money from the first game. And they're working on a proper sequel that I would imagine is going to take a lot of these ideas and refine on them more. My main hope for the sequel is that they back off a little bit of the story stuff. Like, I like how they're adding more characters. It's certainly nice that it's presenting a more diverse view, of like, world. Um, It's cool how they've streamlined things. I just think there could be more space for the player and, like, a little more room for just not knowing what to do and sort of feeling lost and screwing around and experimenting. Like, I don't want them to go so slick that the sequel is this, like, really, you know, smooth, frictionless experience because part of the joy of the game is just... Cruising around underwater and like finding stuff and feeling kind of lost and overwhelmed, like that's a really big part of it, and that's a little less present in Below Zero, even though it's still great. And especially having just played the first game, it's cool to play something a little different after playing the first game. Um, and it's also cool knowing they're working on more like this. This these games, they're cool. They're like really really nice in a way that I wasn't expecting. So. Oh man,
1: yeah, I've I is on my list. It's on my to play yeah. list. They're they're, they're pretty there.
0: neat. And you know, if you do only have a little bit of time and you just kind of want to see what it's about, you could do worse than playing Below Zero. It's shorter, it's like more contained, it's it's mm. more streamlined. So it's kind of. But is like,
1: it hard to go back to the first one after like doing the streamlined stuff of the, the second one? I
0: think you could do it, but you, there are definitely things where you'd be like, "Oh my god, you can't pin recipes in this! Like <laughs> this is so much harder." But I, I mean, you could. It, I think it's a more natural to go the other way, but if you don't have
1: that much time, yeah, there's you know, it's it's not a bad idea to start to start with Below Zero. How many hours did it take you to finish the first Sumnatica?
0: At a twenty-something, probably maybe. Oh, okay, like, so that's not terrible yeah no like you that. could play it a lot more like it's a base building game you could build a crazy thing and like there's a bunch of stuff i didn't see but i did finish it and it's really cool the story and like the ending is really cool it's worth finishing mm-hmm.
1: but um... the problem i was i was thinking to myself how do these guys like how do you both have time to like finish almost almost finish mass effect or like how do you have time to play so much stuff like in curse finished on and then i realized oh yeah i like every time i'm playing a game interrupted to go play starcraft 2 for like an hour and then go mm-hmm. back to it and I'm like, oh right that's <laughs> how I like, don't what play could it what could it be what could Problem.
2: I thought you were going to talk about your baby, but it's StarCraft no, 2 that's, that's calling, it's really crying Starcraft out too. to you, yeah. and being like, because well,
1: like, She'll playing. take a nap. She'll take a nap for like three hours, and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to get some gaming in. And then I wind up playing StarCraft 2 for an hour and right. a half, and I'm I like, mean, it's oh, it's still well, gaming. It's completely It's, it's, a yep. great yeah, game. Yep. it's still gaming.
0: Yep. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode. Stay tuned for the Beans cast that'll be in the feed next week, and, and we'll be back next week with more Triple Click. I'll see both of you then. See ya. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. TripleClick is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.